another interesting scripture reading this morning. Um, and it's tough. It's tough not just because it has been mistaught. It's tough because it calls us to examine ourselves and realize how desperately we need the love of God in our lives. And so as we begin this morning, I want to begin with a prayer that's assigned for today, the first Sunday after Epiphany. Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Y'all been watching some movies this week? It's been cold. It's been wet. Anybody remember Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Love that movie. You remember that scene where Indiana makes it to the end of everything that had been written in his father's journal, and he comes into the temple where he has to choose which cup Jesus would have chosen. You remember that? The scene is all about the motive of our heart and how it affects our relationships. So you have the evil American, Walter Donovan, and his lovely assistant, Dr. Elsa Schneider, who are seduced by the power of the grail, what the grail can do for them. And she sees a cup that's pleasing to the eye. It appears to be good, so she encourages him to take it. Sound familiar? Y'all want to see this clip? Let's watch this clip. Which one is it? You must choose. But choose wisely. For as the true grail will bring you life, the false grail will take it from you. I'm not a historian. I have no idea what it looks like. Which one is it? Let me choose. Certainly is the cup of the King of Kings. Eternal life. 
muchos puales. <risa> Indiana Jones chooses wisely. He knows the qualities and the characteristics of Jesus, so he chooses the cup that Jesus would have chosen. And like Jesus, his motive is love. Ultimately, he chooses the cup, not just for his own sake, but to bless his dad. There are a lot of cups that we can choose in life. Golden cups of power, gemmed cups of prestige, gaudy cups of popularity and position. But there's only one cup that brings life. <clears throat> it's the cup Jesus shares at the Passover meal. He takes the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gives, it, he gives it to his disciples, and he says, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. It's the cup that represents Jesus' identity as the promised Messiah, who restores us to a right relationship with God and with one another. And it's the cup that represents our new identity in him. He heals our brokenness. He forgives our sin. And he gives us new and abundant life that enables us to love one another as he loves us. This cup is the wise choice. 
And it's what our scripture is about today. Today's reading is all about the motive of the heart and how it affects our relationships. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 in the blue Bibles. That's on page 998. Paul begins by emphasizing a distinction. He emphasizes that we live in the world, but we no longer are to be like the world. In verse 1, he begins, but as for you... Paul is encouraging the people of God in Crete. He's encouraging them not to shape their lives by the traits and trends of culture, but to shape the culture with the qualities and characteristics of Christ in our lives. He uses an interesting word here. He uses the word, hugiaino. I don't know. Hugiaino. Hugiaino. You're welcome. Hugiaino. Um, I like how the New Living Translation translates it. But as for you, promote the kind of living that reflects Hugiaino. That word literally means health. It's the same root that we get our word for hygiene. Hugiaino. And what Paul is emphasizing, what he is distinguishing is our new identity in Christ. That we are those who have been washed of impurity. That in Christ, God makes us beautiful in his eyes. And he gives us the desire and the ability to receive the fullness of his love that fills our heart to overflowing that we might love one another as he loves us. The life we now live, Paul is saying, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us that we might love one another in his love, with his love, and by his love. The Apostle John will write in his first epistle, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. This is the new motive of our hearts, the new heart that we have received from the promised Messiah. The Lord Jesus has taken away our hearts of stone and given us a heart of flesh. And his law is no longer written on tablets of stone alone. His law is now written on our hearts. And the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, now lives within us and writes the love of Jesus on our hearts. He writes the the testimony of Jesus. He instills our hearts with his love that we might abide by a new commandment. To love one another as he loves us. Paul is describing what godly love looks like, and he does so in five relational categories. And as we look at these different categories, I want us to encourage 
I want to encourage us to be open to the presence of the Lord here. This, this word is a hopeful word. It's an encouraging word. And even though it's been mistaught and misapplied in so many harmful ways, the heart of Paul is the heart of God. And he's sharing this to help us not to hurt us, that we might be healed and made whole and experience the fullness of life that Jesus came and died and rose that we might experience. So let's begin in, uh, in verse two with older men. Those of you who self-select as older men, this is for you. <laughs> older men are to resemble and represent Jesus by being temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Now, this is challenging for us because our, our temptation is otherwise. Our temptation is to be grumpy, to pick arguments, to be cynical, and to be wary of giving ourselves in the service of others. But that's not who we are in Christ. In Christ, we've been given a new heart filled with his very love. And so in Christ, we are temperate. And that means that we love those around us by exercising restraint, by delaying self-gratification, by speaking with gentleness and kindness. This is who we are. In Christ, we're sensible. We love those around us by being sober-minded and steady, trustworthy and true to our word. In Christ, we're dignified. We're not respected because of what we have in the world, but because of what we have in Christ. He is our life. And so we love by being positive and hopeful and setting an example of what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness above all else. In Christ, we are loved to love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love is like Jesus. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And what that means is that the graybeards of the church are meant to express and exhibit love with gravitas. Love like Jesus. Love that draws people to Jesus, not themselves. Older men, we don't want younger guys looking up to us and saying, oh, I sure hope I don't end up like that guy. We want to live in such a way that younger guys look to us and think, wow, I want to be like Christ and that dude. And that means turning away from the cup of power and prestige and popularity and position and turning toward Jesus, surrendering to his love 
being filled and transformed by his love that we might love those around us with the very love with which he loves us. That is the pattern of gospel relationships, loving one another as he loves us. Older women, not going to ask you to raise your hand. More mature, more seasoned, more experienced women. Look at verses three through four. Older women resemble and represent Jesus by being reverent, not slanderers or heavy wine drinkers, but teaching what is good and urging younger women to love their husbands and their children. This is beautiful. First, older women are meant to be reverent. And this means practicing the presence of God. Women, have y'all read that book? One of the greatest pieces of writing ever. Go to your Amazon cart after the sermon and download that book. Practicing the presence of God. Being reverent means living in such a way that Jesus permeates throughout every aspect of your lives. You're soaked in the love of Jesus. Secondly, women are not to be slanderers. This means they're not to gossip, but to affirm the good. They're not to backbite but to use their words to build up, encourage, and support. They're not to blame, but to model grace and forgiveness. They're to teach what is good. Training younger women in the church by sharing the wisdom of their successes and the wisdom of their mistakes, discipling the younger women, raising them up to be godly women, godly wives, and godly moms. Jesus is doing a lot of this in our midst on Wednesday mornings. So encouraging to see. Women drinking from the cup of Jesus is different than drinking from the cup of the world. Drinking from the cup of Jesus means that you have a new identity and that you cherish and relish that identity above all else. Do you know who you are? You are God's treasured possession. A woman of noble worth, dear and precious in the Father's eyes. You're a daughter of the king and an heir of all of his resources. And your identity in Christ, not anything the world offers, is what sets you free and empowers you to be the brilliant, bold, beautiful woman of God that he created and redeemed you to be in Christ. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's, it doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love is like Jesus. 
that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And that means turning away from the cup of power and prestige and popularity and position and turning toward Jesus, surrendering to his love, being filled to overflowing by his love regularly, continually, that you might love those around you. That's the pattern of gospel relationships, loving others as Christ loves us. Paul speaks to younger women in verses four and five. He encourages younger women to resemble and represent Jesus by loving their husbands and children, being self-controlled and pure, busy at home, kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, oftentimes when we read that or when we hear that, or because we have heard that misapplied and mistaught, we tend to bristle a little bit and our walls come up. So I, I want to just speak peace. Paul is not saying what women can't do. So don't hear what he's not saying. Paul is speaking with a heart filled with the love of Christ, the love of God. And he's affirming and encouraging women to be who only they can be. Her relational love for her husband and family contains no notion of inferiority. On the contrary, it recognizes the spiritual equality of women and affirms their unique God-given design to play a life-giving and irreplaceable role in the family. Paul lovingly has in mind younger women being home lovers. He's affirming the high and holy calling of marriage and motherhood. There's no opposition to a wife's pursuit of a profession here. There's just encouragement not to withdraw, not to be idle among the family, not to neglect the loving, sacrificial service to their husbands and their children. And so from Genesis to Revelation, sound teaching, true teaching, pure teaching of the word of God upholds Christ-centered marriage and homes that exhibit spiritual equality with gender complementarity. And that combination, filled with the love of Christ, overflowing with the love of Christ, beautifully commends the gospel because it represents the relationship between Christ and his church. So, Loving your husbands and loving your children is a significant way to uphold God's design and honor God's word. That's what Paul's saying. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. 
It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love is like Jesus. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And that means turning away from the cup of power and prestige and popularity and position and turning toward Jesus, surrendering to his love, being filled with his love to overflowing that we might love others as he loves us. That's the pattern of gospel relationships, loving others as Christ loves us. Are you hearing the pattern? Paul moves on to speak to younger men in verses six through eight. Younger men resemble and represent Jesus by being self-controlled, doing what is good, showing integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. That doesn't come naturally to young men. So like younger women need a more seasoned, mature woman to disciple them, younger men need a more mature, seasoned man to disciple them. Disciple just means learner. It means imitating the rabbi, Jesus. Walking in his footsteps, beginning to try on the life that he lives, applying his word and experiencing the fruit of his life and love. John Stott writes here, Paul's thinking of the control of temper and tongue, of ambition and avarice, and especially of bodily appetites, including sexual urges. So the Christian young man remains committed to the unalterable gospel standard of chastity before marriage and fidelity after it. So Paul describes some characteristics that young men are supposed to take on and develop patterns that they're meant to live. Self-control. Young men are not to be impulsive, ambitious, or volatile. But as Paul encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, young men are to run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, they are to pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, enjoying the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Hmm. Young men are to be self-controlled and to do what is good. The word that Paul uses here is to post. It's a good makerspace word because it refers to a mark or an impression left by an instrument. Something that's, that's stamped out by a hammer. And the metaphor relates to being who we have been created and redeemed to be in Christ. We are God's masterpieces, his workmanship, his handiwork. We're God's very best of all creation. We're the best. 
And he recreates us anew in Christ Jesus. That we could walk in the good works that he's given us to walk in. That he's prepared for us to walk in from long ago. Ephesians 2.10. And so self-control and doing what is good and integrity, that's who we are in Christ with the new heart that he gives us with his love that fills our heart and overflows from our heart. And so who we are lines up and matches with what we do. Essential to our integrity is getting that order right. Our identity comes from God. We're human beings, not human doings. Therefore, what we do must authentically flow first and foremost out of who we are, out of a heart that's been touched and transformed by the love of God in Christ. Dignity, soundness of speech. This means engaging conversations of substance, using our words to bless and build up, avoiding obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking. Guys, these are the traits of manhood. Not exhaustive, but descriptive of what it means to be a real man, not the type of man that our culture holds up, but the type of man that's infected by the love of Jesus and seeks not just to live for himself, but to live for him who died and rose again. Possessing these qualities and characteristics also happen to be what makes a woman feel safe and secure. And so it's what every son needs his dad to be so that he can imitate his dad as his dad imitates Christ. It's what every daughter needs her dad to be so that she feels safe and secure and knows the type of boys to call friends and ultimately the type of man to marry. And so this means turning away from the cup of power and prestige and popularity and position and turning toward Jesus, surrendering to his love, being filled and transformed by his love that we might love others as he loves us. That's the pattern of gospel relationships, loving one another as Christ loves us. It doesn't matter if you're old or you're young, if you're male or you're female, if you're a Jew or a Greek or a San Antonianite. This is God's heart towards us and an expression of the new heart that he's given us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love is like Jesus. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Paul speaks to one more relationship, the relationship 
of servants. Now, to be clear, slavery in every form is sin because it demeans God's creation and the inherent dignity and worth of every human being. So Paul's not advocating slavery here. Paul's giving gospel guidance to those who are in serving relationships. In our day, this is how employees love in the workplace. Look at verses 9 and 10. This is all of us. Because we all work for somebody. We all have someone in authority over us. And to those in authority over us, we are to resemble and represent Jesus by being submitted to them. Serving them, not arguing and not taking anything from them, but being fully trustworthy so that in every way the gospel is attractive. At Grace, we call this being a fatso. Faithful, available, teachable, submitted, and obedient. Faithful, available, teachable, submitted and obedient. That's a heart motivated by the sacrificial, servant-hearted love of Christ. It's the love that he had for the Father. It's the love that he had for his disciples. It's the love that he had for every single person that he came in contact with. It's the love that he has for us and the love that he has poured out into our hearts. Why? Look at verse 10 so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Paul uses the same word here for adorning a woman with jewelry. He's talking about how the gospel adorns the people of God. How the gospel fills us with love and motivates us to love one another and how that makes us beautiful and attractive to the world around us. As we humbly and sacrificially serve our bosses and those in authority over us, the light of Christ shines in us and through us and reflects from us so that others are drawn to the beauty of Christ, to his life and to his love. People believe the gospel because they see the presence and power of Jesus at work in us. Shall we say this aloud together? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. At first glance, this reading tends to make us bristle a bit. But it's the heart of God spoken in the love of God to encourage us to be who we are in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. Older women, older men, younger women, younger men, all of us, this is who we are 
in Christ. This is how God loves us and how we love one another with the overflow of his love for us. So in your heart, in your home, at school and at work, will you choose the cup of Jesus? It's the cup given in love that we might experience and share that love. And when our hearts are filled with the love of Jesus, what happens is that love permeates every aspect of our lives and touches the lives of those around us. We are able to love with a true love, a real love, a healing love, a reconciling love, an encouraging love that blesses and builds up. That's who we are. And so as we come to the Lord around his table this morning, as we drink from his cup that represents who he is and who we now are in him, come and drink freely. Come and drink deeply from the love of God in Christ. Let's pray. Set us free, O oh God, from the bondage of our sins. Heal us and make us whole. And give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.